All right, it's DT Systems, dog tested and dog tough. You know, we like that dog in them, baby. We've been using the H2O1820. Over the last several months, we've been playing with this unit. Our friends at Standing Stone Kennels, Ethan and Kat, they've been using it for years, and we've been playing with it. We really like it. I think for the dog trainer, the hunter, and the guy or gal who's training their dog to get ready for duck season, we'll really enjoy the 1820. Super reliable, super consistent, great unit for you and your dogs. H2O1820. Dog tested. Dog. Hashtag man's best kennel. It's Gunner Kennels, baby. It's a kit. We had Addison on the the podcast, a phenomenal dude, always innovating our industry. And one of the things that he brought up is it's a kit. It's not just the kennel itself. You've got the fan 2.0 for your summer, right? Like it's hot out. We got to keep that dog cool. In wintertime, you got the all weather kit. Keeps that poor body temperature in there so the dog doesn't have to work as hard to stay warm. They also have the magnetic door accessory that keeps that body temperature in there. And then the straps. Everybody thinks like, oh, I'll just go to Home Depot and get the cheapo straps. Well, listen, they developed these straps so that basically you can lift a VW bug with the two straps. So if you were to get in a car accident on the way to the duck blind or the training grounds, that dog is going to be beyond strapped and stay safe. Check it out. Gunner Kennels, baby. Slide in the DMs. We'll hook you up. Force fetch. What is it? It's super intimidating to so many people, yet it's not that difficult. I built a step-by-step process that helps you understand it, you and your dog can be successful in it, and it takes the intimidation away of the process so that you and your dog can get to your goals. That's what it's built for. Let me teach you how I do it so that you and your dog can do it. Different breeds, different personalities, problem solving, and more. Check it out. Links in the description. The Force Fetch Course. Baby. What's up, everybody? This is Bob Owens, and you're listening to Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles. You're sitting here with me and my brother Kevin, and we've got Anthony Farrow from Fetching Feathers on the hook to talk about his business, his dogs, hunting stories, and a ton more. I'm fired up to have him here. And uh, Anthony, I'd love to hear a little bit about you, your business, uh, your story, and we'll get into it, brother. Lead it off. Awesome, awesome. Uh, first, thanks, thanks for having me on. Um, I always love the opportunity to uh, to shoot the bull about uh, bird dogs and our stories, and you know why everybody's in it. You know what their reasoning is. So uh, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Uh, Bob, Kevin, what's up? Now, oh, man, just here, enjoying and ready for a good conversation. Um, Anthony, talk to me about fetching feathers. I follow you on Instagram and Facebook, and Man, I see so many similarities to you and I in our story from, you know, growing up to mid-20s, post-college, doing a job, you know, that maybe we weren't fully uh, in love with, but we're paying the bills and then letting our passion lead us into a different direction in life. So when did Fetching Feathers start and how did this idea come into fruition? Big word, by the way. Big um, word use. Yeah, no, that's actually what I was thinking you were going to say in my head before you said it, so well played. Yeah, thanks, dude. (laughs) So, um, yeah, uh, I I didn't really start hunting until college. You know, I didn't didn't grow up in a hunting family, and I got into it in college. Um, I saw my first pointer. uh, It would have either been my freshman or sophomore year. There was a couple older fraternity guys that owned a bunch of land in Gove, Kansas, western, northwestern Kansas. So, as a, you know, we took a group of eight or ten fraternity guys out there, and uh, that's the first time that I ever saw a pointer, and it was a German Shorthair and a Vishla. And nice. those two dogs working together, uh, you know, it was nothing that I've ever seen. And uh, I don't know. I, I've always loved dogs and been in tune with, with dogs, and I've always been a dog person, and dogs seem to grad, gravitate into me when I'm at someone else's house. So yeah. um, that connection was sparked immediately and to see the intensity and like, I, you could just tell that it was a, it was a natural ability. You know, it was a, 
it was a, it was a God given ability, you know, that, that as a handler, our job is just to hone that skill for them, you know, teach sure. them how to pull that natural ability out of them. For sure. Um, so I was hooked, man. I was hooked. Um, so, you know, I, I hunted all through college. Uh, I bought gnarly, the old gnar man. I call him the Brown bomber. There you uh, go. He, uh, he's my little short stack, but, uh, the kid's got more heart than, than the average bear. So well, how old I is he my now? Fifth year. Uh, he turns 10 in September. Gotcha. gotcha. So, uh, he's a white, he's a white faced, white eyebrowed pup at this point. But, um, so I got him my fifth year of college and, you know, I had, had a little extra time cause I wasn't a full-time student to finish out that fifth year. It was a victory lap. Yeah. And, uh, very similar to me. <laughs> yeah. I rolled a victory lap. It was, it was an expensive lap, but damn it. It was fun. That's right. Again, uh, memories being made, so, buddy. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't regret any of that. Other or, or probably remember it. Loan bill. Partially, <laughs> partially. I think later on, by that time, my fifth year, I wasn't quite as rowdy. Good you for know? you. Um, so, nonetheless, uh, I had a lot of time to train, and I had a couple of mentors that were some older guys in college, and I just started training NAR. And uh, I left after school, and I moved to Austin, Texas. And mm-hmm. I, I had a job in Austin and I hunted quail, you know, and, uh, at that point, you know, I was two, there two or three years and we were dodging more snakes, you know, than we weren't. And I was just like to the hell with this. And I always wanted to live in the mountains. So I packed up and moved to Colorado. Good and for you. I would say, I would say between the influence of me starting in college and then my move to Colorado is really where the idea of fetching feathers took off. So what um, year was this? Now? I grew up, uh, let's see, that had been six years ago. All right. Very similar to Lone Duck. I so, think we're in our seventh year or something like that. So very similar. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, Fetching Feathers is only created a year and a half ago, but, um, and I didn't even know what it was until a year and a half ago, but I, what, you know, I think the idea, the, um, the opportunities, the stories, the the things that I saw in the field, you know, those were all building blocks to the, you know, eventually tangible name of fetching feathers. But, cool. you know, the, the, the mountains took me over, man, the, the hunting in the mountains at, you know, eight, 10,000 feet, you know, for Sharpies and blue grouse and sage grouse and, um, you know, up where I hunt, uh, all these species of grouse is actually where the heaviest elk population is. So you get to listen to elk the entire night at camp and it's just, man, it's just so surreal. And, um, you know, there's a reason that the mountains take people over and and people's hearts are always drawn West. So that's really where it started. And then I I saw a niche and I said, you know what, I think I'm going to create a little something and call it fetching feathers. Nice. I love it. Yeah. You do extremely well with the social media. I I really enjoy, do you do your own photography? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice job, man. Yeah. Um, I, no, I appreciate it. Quite honestly, um, I wouldn't call myself a photographer. I just started. Um, I take 500 pictures and get about four good ones out of 500. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to learn the editing game. I would say, like right now, if I had a goal from a photography standpoint, um, I want to identify like my look. I noticed that a lot of the photography folks that I really enjoy, like it's the same edit on every picture. It's a All great right. blend. It's it's a way to brand yourself, you know, when For you sure. see it, you're like, Oh, I know, I know that's like project Upland. you know, they, they have a very obvious, uh, patent look. And so yep. uh, that's something that I'd like to work on this, this, this summer. It's a good goal, but, uh, but uh, not to blow your head up, but I just, I've, the things that we stand for with the unspoken bond and, and the memories that we make out on the hunt and training, like I see your pictures and like this dude gets it and your pictures embody it you know what i mean you get the point across absolutely i know and i appreciate that and that was something that i didn't really figure out until i bought a camera you know i actually bought a camera because i was like oh well it's a it's a fetching feathers write-off i've got to buy stuff so i, I need a camera so there you go. i went and bought a camera when i started the business and just you know started messing around but I, you know i've learned that i enjoy a picture of one or two birds you know, opposed to a pile. Um, I feel like because if I can focus on one bird, um, I can, I can replay that point and where I was and the, you know, flush left to right, you know, swinging hot. 
if I, if I glorify one single bird, it allows me to tap into that particular flush. And, you know, that's something that, that I love to do. And, you know, that's how you tell good campfire stories, you know, cause you can remember it shuts your eyes and you can see that bird flushing. And mm-hmm. you can hear so that's it. That's kind of the way I, I approach. Yeah. Yeah. I approach my pictures that way. And, you know, you try to get some, some different angles and, um, I don't know. And really just kind of let the dogs tell you what to do. You know, my favorite pictures are, are with the dogs. So, yeah. you know, they're, they're the reasons that we're in this. They're, uh, if you will, leading the blind, you know, and that's the way that I often talk to people. And I, you know, I ask them and we speak of guys who hunt without bird dogs or flushers or what have you. Mm-hmm. And that's what I say, you know, I mean, like a bird dog is leading the blind. If we didn't have a bird dog in the field, we are literally blind. We don't have a nose. We can't smell these birds. We're not picking up scent cones. We're just walking blind. And right. so for me, you know, if you will, dogs kind of give us handler sight. And, um, that's, that's part of the bond, you know, it's a, it's a relationship that each one can't function without the other. And that's really cool. For me, it's not even fun going on a hunt. If I can't take my dog or a dog (laughs) I've trained or, you know, a a buddy's dog that I have a emotional relationship with, you know, watching it grow up and, and watching it develop. It just, there's. If I go, like, let's say we were to go on a guided goose hunt and they're like, nah, you can't bring a dog. Guess what, buddy? I'm not coming. You know, it, it's just not worth the hunt. I, I get more enjoyment out of seeing the dog do what they love and do it well that, than anything else. Shooting the gun is third, probably, to the dogs and then your friendships. Yeah, yeah. The harvest is the icing. But uh, yeah. you can't have icing without the body, right? That's Part right. Part of the icing, but you, you you can't put icing on something if you don't build a base. And the base is everything that you just said. Absolutely, man. For sure. Now, when did you get radar? Uh, I bought radar. Uh, so Gnarly was five when I bought radar. So I was in Colorado when I bought radar. Who'd you get him from? Um, he's four. Uh, I got him from Kai Larson out of uh, Hunt'em Up Kennels in yep. Kansas. Yep, yep. Yeah, Kai, um, he's, he's got some amazing dogs. Um, some of his breedings, you know, that he's been putting out, his, his litters, uh, Radar's dog, uh, Radar's uh, sire, Ruger, um, he's just dropping awesome, awesome dogs. Radar's had a cannon in the nose from the beginning. Good um, and Radar turned five in August. So nice. Radar's five, gnarly's 10 this season. My goal, man, anybody listening, please get a hold of me. I need an all-liver female for radar because uh, I'm probably going to retire gnarly after this season. And because gnarly is the one that got me started in this, I will forever have an all-liver male in my kennel until I die. Gotcha. And I want that all-liver male to be one of radar's sons. So I need an all-liver female for radar. Please get a hold of me. <laughs> hey, man, hopefully this, uh, we with you and I combined, we should be able to make that happen. Yeah, I really hope so. Very cool. Um, Kevin's got it. Oh, sorry. So, uh, with radar now, one of the questions I had for you that I don't even think I wrote down, but I've seen through some of your posts and whatnot. Do you run any tests or trials? Man, um, I really should run tests. I feel like I'm not doing radar as justification for his natural ability. Mm-hmm. I never have. And the only trial that I have ever done uh, is a small local club called Colorado Gun Dog Association. And it's just your uh, your good old boy. It's NASA rules, but it's not sanctioned by anything. It's mm-hmm. more for fun. Gotcha. Um, I, for some reason, um, the competitive nature of trialing really, really didn't sit well with me. Uh, I realized that I this season in particular, I started trophy hunting. Right. Um, I, I started, I started not, I started not paying attention to the reason that I love it. And I was putting pressure on myself to, to make good shots. I was pressuring radar, uh, to hurry up or to, you know, whatever it was. And I, I, I started feeling the anxiety in this field and I said, Whoa, man, you need to take a step back. And, uh, this year radar and I were qualified for the semifinals and, uh, I just, uh, opted out and I said, we're done for the season. And I just needed to get back to why I love doing it. And it's the competition just ruined it for me. So yeah. I'm interested in hunt tests because I really would like to, to title radar. His, uh, his pedigree is deep with all of master hunters and field trial champs. And 
I think really, if I really want to turn people on other than his natural ability and style, um, you know, I need to get him titled a bit. So yeah, we'll see if I, we'll see if that, that's him down the road right now. The reason I'm in it is because I hunt public lands and, uh, I enjoy the, the mind training experience of following my dogs. Yeah, I agree with that. And I definitely understand where you're coming from with sometimes again, we're probably highly competitive people and we share that. And so sometimes this putting that pressure on you and your dog, you can take it too far and it might take the fun out of it. But you know, there's something about being able to do this year round where I look at it as it, not, not only cause it's my business now with training the dogs, but you know, taking Memphis, my female black lab, as far as I can in her training abilities, as long as she's having fun and, you know, maybe I had a bad day or she had a bad day or we're working on little quirks right now, you know, whatever it is, it's a process that keeps us doing it throughout the year. And the tests, you meet cool people, it opens up doors to hunting experiences. And I guess I'm plugging it a little bit for our listeners of, hunting season's only how many days long what are you doing with your dog the rest of the year and i know that you're out there training with with radar and gnarly so you you know you're doing what we do but you know the test is another opportunity for people to get out with their dog meet some people who are like-minded and have fun and if it's not fun i agree with you take a step back and remember why you do it but dang you know a weekend away with your dog's whether it's hunting or hunt tests or going out to a buddy's place and training, it's all good life. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you kind of hit it right when you started. Uh, I think that the, my competitive nature gets the best of me. It always has got the best of me. And, um, sometimes I lack the ability to put that, uh, com- competitive nature aside and just enjoy it for what you said, a, tra- a training ability and some camaraderie. Um, but like I said, in the end, I'm just, uh, <laughs> I'm too damn competitive. And if I don't win, I feel like I was falling short on my way home. You know, I, I drive home for an hour and replay every bird in my head and where I fell short as a handler and, um, you know, things that I saw in radar that I need to work on. Um, and I was just like, man, forget this. Let's just, let's just go do what we do. You know, yeah. let's just go kick dirt and, and shoot birds. So, no uh, you know, I'm training out here. I, I moved out to Western Kansas recently, and I've got to live on 4,000 acres. And, what? Um, I, yeah. Road yeah, trip. Um, I got, I, yeah, come on with it, brother. Um, we are in the heart of, of bird country in Western Kansas in regards to pheasants. And I, I, I bet you I, I see six to ten roosters a day. Um, it take, I'm 15 miles off the highway wheat fields pretty much on both sides and we've been there they've been fighting in the wheat fields all puffed up and pretty and beating the hell out of each other it's nice. uh it's quite the sight being out here dude that's awesome um speaking of like training and and working with these dogs and where they've taken you do you have any mentors that that got you to the point you are now in training ability and some of the maybe knowledge that they've passed on to you or some of the experience Experiences you've had that you could share with our, our listeners? For sure. Um, you know, when I got gnarly my fifth year, um, I had a buddy named Scott, and he actually was the gentleman who owned the um, the German short hair and the Vishla that I, I saw work for the first time. Um, and so he, he took me under his wing in college, and, and you know, he every, it's always nice to have somebody there to help with training it's just easier with two guys in many instances and so he welcomed the help and uh i uh, you know i like i said i fell in love with it immediately and i was just a sponge and i learned as much as i could and then um after that it was just kind of self-taught what i learned and um i think um, i think there's a lot to be said about uh, a trainer and a handler and uh, there's a lot of guys doing really good things at the end of the day, a bird, a bird, you know, birds make a bird dog. And I was just always diligent about making sure that I was purchasing birds for my dogs weekly or biweekly. Uh, and the more, you know, and more interactions they have with birds, you know, the more they learn. Um, the idea of not shooting a, a bird that they flush themselves don't reward negative uh, behavior because they'll continue to do that. And 
just making them be patient. You know, I think it's probably harder for, for the handler to be patient than it is the dog. You know, it's hard yeah. for a lot of guys to let their dog sit there with a five minute timer on point, you know, or uh, not shooting when a bird goes up cause they've hiked for two hours exactly. and haven't seen anything. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, so after that, uh, I moved to Colorado and, uh, social media can be good and, and bad. And I think that you and myself have, understood how it can be a very positive thing for our businesses and just for, you know, the gun dog community. Sure. And I got on Facebook and I just looked up, you know, I just randomly searched like, you know, Colorado bird dog, this, you know, Colorado pointer that, and I found a couple groups and there was a gentleman named Ken who had this all liver German short hair named blaze. And this damn blaze dog, he was a stud man. Gosh, he was a stud. And I just reached out to him and I was like, man, I'd love to, to work with your dog. I've got an all liver short hair. Uh, he welcomed me in. He's the one that introduced me to Colorado gun dog association. Um, but I would say that Ken and I, I've spent more time training with Ken than I have anybody else. And Ken is, um, I think you guys follow each other. He's a RN bird dogs. He's got that setter named cash. Yeah. 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 Yeah, man. Okay, so that's Ken, and I've been fortunate enough to to got to be his training partner from you know Cash being you know whatever it was three month three months old or whatever when he got into to present. Uh, I was with him when he pointed and retrieved his first wild bird. Uh, that was a sharp tail up in Northwest Colorado. So, dude, tell us that uh, story. Walk us through that story. Paint wow. the picture for everybody. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was unbelievable. It. Uh, this area that we've been hunting is uh, up in the steamboat area. I'm not going to say the exact towns because there's <laughs> locals there, and I don't want to. I don't want to flood people, you know, in an area. Because, anyways, I got you. Uh, somewhere around steamboat and um, this area that we were hunting. So September 1st is is when hunting season starts for most people, but it's dove. In Colorado, September 1st is dove and sharp-tailed grouse. Okay. Granted, it's 80-something degrees, and you're hunting at 8,000 feet, so that sun is intense. Um, but uh, the hills, the rolling hills out there are unbelievable. So, Can I interrupt you real quick? Pack. Yeah, yeah, please do. How do you keep the dogs cool in that kind of temperature? Are there precautions that you take or, like, break and take breaks? Or how, what do you guys do for that? Yeah, sure. So there's actually um, – they run cattle on all of this uh, BLM land. And because there's cattle there, there every every so often there's a pond, and so uh, most of us are running GPS or Garmin Alpha or whatever you have. And so what we do is, is you know, we pull the topographic up, and you put waypoints where all the ponds are, and you just kind of you you, you play your wind. Obviously, you're hunting with the wind in your face, and we just kind of navigate ourselves, you know, uh, to all the ponds throughout the hunting, and just kind of hunt that area between there. Um, I would say, you know, typically. Ken and I, dogs are probably doing around 40 miles a day in sharp tail country. Whoa. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's easy, easy, easy. If, if 40 uh, isn't the mark, uh, even gnarly, gnarly averages, you know, in the mid-30s a day, and he's 10. So Good Lord. it's huge country, and it's a lot of fun. So, anyways, we're covering all this crazy country. You know, we're hitting these ponds and cooling the dogs off. Every once in a while um, – Gnarly had a grand mal seizure uh, or an epileptic seizure, one of the two. His blood sugar was low uh, on a New Year's Eve hunt last year. But I spoke with a couple of doctors, and um, he suggested that you bring some sort of sugar for dogs that are doing these 30, 40-mile hunts a day. So now I carry honey sticks with me. And every once in a while when we take a break, I'll knock one of those honey sticks open and I rub it on their gums and put it in their mouth, uh, you know, give them, give them a couple swallows of water and let them rest. And it's just good to give them that sugar for, for them. You know, they're, they're athletes and they're burning so much more calories and energy and electrolytes than we are. Um, and then the other thing I do is I carry two water bottles with me. Um, and I fill one of them half, half with Pedialyte, half water, half Pedialyte, and the other one full of water good deal um and that's just kind of the same little supplement in the field give you know just give them a little shot give them a little bump of some uh pedialyte uh and keep them going so that's kind of what i do to keep them cool yeah yeah good advice. um so anyways 
Ken and I have worked, oh, I don't know, three, four, five ridges at this point. It's probably 11 o'clock. We're sweating. Nobody's pulled the trigger. I think we had a, maybe bumped a couple birds or had a couple wild flushes, and that was it. And we're actually making the descent, the backside, uh, around the truck. And there's a lot of choke cherry bush in this area that we've hunted, and we've hunted this area quite a bit. And there's always grouse and choke cherries. Uh, it's just the way it is out there. Um, so you hunt those areas and, you know, within 50 yards on the outskirts of them, obviously. And we're making our way downhill and I'm in front of Ken and I look back and I see his, at, at the time, his English pointer, uh, Missy. And I see her big old white tail behind a bush, a sagebrush bush. And I, you know, I say, Hey, Ken, Missy's on point. Well, Ken looks down to his left and Cash is in front of Missy, and Missy was honoring him. And that Cash dog, nice. is, if you guys haven't seen him, follow him at RM Bird Dogs. This Cash dog is like the poster child of setters. He's 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 almost pompous with his points. His head is so high, his tail is so straight. He's a regal, regal pointer. He is a I don't even know. He's not even two. Kid's like one and a half. Wow. Uh, and he's just standing staunch like a stud, like a veteran. And sure enough, Ken walks down, uh, gets in front of Cash, walks to him. Sharpie gets up, drops him. Cash retrieves it straight to hand, no problem. Uh, you know, and obviously Ken and I are hooting and hollering. I think yeah. actually I have all of that on uh, on GoPro as well because I didn't shoot anything that day. I just watched Ken shoot. That's awesome. Uh, but, yeah, that was, that was his first wild burst. Um, it, it was really cool to be a part of, and that's kind of the idea of, of you know, uh, the name of the film that we can speak of later, but reveling the first. And, like, damn it, like, what is our chances that I get to be a part of, like, you know, raising another dog from being a puppy to to a hunter, you know, being a part of that with Ken, and then being on his very first wild bird hunt ever that September 1st, and uh, slamming a point and, and harvesting a bird for his dad. Like, man, those moments are, are why I'm in the uplands. You know, stuff that I won't ever forget. Old Cash's first bird. It's not even my dog, you know, and I'm yeah. still fired up. So. Dude, I know, I know it. And that, that was one of the questions I was going to ask you is, like, your most memorable retrieves. And I actually, even though we just talked about Cash, and I think I, I just pictured, I walked with you in the woods right there, man. That was an awesome story. What was uh, Gnarly's first retrieve? What bird? Uh, rooster, for sure. Um, Gnarly has never had the strongest nose. I mean, he'll, he works fine. He slams, but he's not picking birds up from 40, 50 yards like Radar does. Gotcha. Uh, Gnarly's more in that 20, 30 range, and often in that 20 range, you're pushing birds to the flush. So okay. um, Gnarly has uh, always had the strongest prey drive in the field of 10 dogs. He... He is the dog that everybody uses when there's a dead bird that, that we can't find. With my group of friends, everybody says, get gnarly in here. Um, he is he is one hell of a retriever. Love and I won't, uh, I won't say my buddy's name, and you'll get a kick out of this because you're a waterfowl and <laughs> lab guy. Uh, I was hunting teal last year in Manhattan, Kansas, uh, where my alma mater, Kansas State's at. And we were hunting teal, and uh, gnarly out-retrieved a lab on the day. Uh, gnarly had more retrieves on teal than the lab did and as a matter of fact we got a teal that sails and goes down lab and gnarly both go for it lab quit on it and turned around and gnarly uh, on my gps was you know 72 yards on the retrieve to chase this damn wounded bird and i'm like dude i know that uh pointers aren't aren't waterfowl dogs and i would never say that because it bothers me sometimes and you know people are like you know labs are just as you know, labs point too. And I know labs point, but damn it, I'm the point of guy. Anyway, yeah, uh, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is, is old gnarly will give you a run for your money on the retrieve. Uh, so his, his first bird was, uh, actually at the ranch that I live at now. And okay. I have a picture of him with his first bird in front of the ranch sign. Uh, court ranch is where I'm at North of Edson, Kansas. And actually radar's first bird was also a rooster at court ranch. Both of my boys uh, got their first birds here. So, uh, and, and Gnarly's bird was, uh, it was a layup. Uh, it was almost unfair, you know, bird held tight Gnarly went on point. I kicked the bird up and it was just like a pillow, you know, straight out in front of me, no left to right, no right to left. That's perfect. And I dog. punched it and actually I was kind of worried about it cause you know, I knew I punched it hard 
Uh, and that little kid, he, Gnarly, let's see, check this out. Gnarly was born September 10th, and pheasant season starts like November 13th. So Gnarly was, I don't know, Tell you, a couple t- months old, four yeah, months. Yeah, four months. Four or, five, four or five months old. I mean, this kid is tiny in this picture that I have holding this big old rooster. No way. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've got that picture. Actually, I think I posted it within the last couple of weeks on Instagram, but... Uh, both of their birds were roosters, and uh, confession time, I might upset a few guys. If I had to drop one bird to hunt the rest of my life, bar none, it would be a pheasant. I Done. I don't even have to think about it. Really? Uh, I would say pheasant hunting is probably my least favorite, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's my least favorite. All right. I can actually roll with you and on I, that. And I was born... I was born and raised in Kansas, so yeah. that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to folks, but uh, yeah, they're so, my least favorite. What do you think about it? No, I, I'd, I'd agree with you. I think, so we're we're from New York, and New York, we don't have any wild pheasants anymore. Um, back when like my dad grew up, we had a population, um, but now our state raises and releases pheasant, and it's kind of, a, they actually do like prison programs where the inmates will raise hundreds of thousands of pheasants and then across New York State in select state land, WMAs and whatnot, they'll release birds and we can hunt them. So you don't know where they are. You don't know what day they put them out. You might have to walk all day and you might put up one bird. You might have a successful day and kill four or five um, within your group. Uh, But when you get on them and you get good at it, it... it's not like a grouse or a woodcock where you're in the thick stuff, you're getting prickers everywhere, you're trying to be strategic about you know, watching the dog on point and coming in at an angle where you can get a shot off. And So I, I think I'd actually agree with you that pheasants are fun, and I, I love doing it over a flushing dog because you can see them get birdie and then you don't know when it's going yep. up. But yeah, it's awesome. Over a pointer, and if that bird holds, you can kind of walk up and just kick it up and take your shot but i don't know man i might have made enemies on that one too but i i think grouse and woodcock over a pointer is bar none exciting challenging and you lose more than you win but every point and every bramble and thorn is is a story and a memory and i, I like that stuff yeah, i've never never hunted either of those species that's on my list rough grouse or woodcock yes sir buddy we got a trip for you Come on now. Don't tempt me with a good time. That's right. No, that would be fun. Um, the woodcock migrate, obviously. And so I, I, in the wintertime, I travel to South Carolina and train the dogs down there. And we put up a few woodcock over Huey when we were doing a, like a put-and-take training exercise for quail. And all of a sudden, he went on point, And sure enough, there was a woodcock. So uh, they're fun little birds. And... The grouse are challenging because, for us at least, they're hard to find, and you gotta be remote and in the right habitat. And it's just, it's still so new to me versus like duck hunting and and goose hunting that every time I go out, it's like a whole new world. And and the new memories are are super fun. So I'm fired up for Andy for that, the little setter we got. Oh man, I'm so excited to watch watch that story. And like I said, you know, I'd reached out to you. Like, you would be doing that dog and yourself uh, injustice if you didn't, like, show everybody the progression of this dog from start to finish. I don't know if going as far as making the dog an Instagram page, but maybe, uh, you know, how you can save your stories? Like, you know, just save a bunch of stories for that dog, you know, um, and how you start the training process with the young dog from a kennel training standpoint to whatever it is that you do. Uh, I would love to watch. I would love to watch that. I think some of your followers would too. You know, I mean, it gives yeah. everybody an opportunity to see what you're doing and implement maybe some of your tips. So yeah, that's uh, awesome, I'm excited man. to see what you do with that dog. Thank you. I will. Um, I have. So we'll talk a little bit about Andy because I, I would love some advice, and I think your experiences and the people you've worked with can obviously help our listeners. And then. You know, I've I've worked with a bunch of pointers. A lot of them have already had a decent head start. So Andy is very raw. Uh, she was born and raised in a kennel and barely knew her name two weeks ago when I got her. And so we're working mm-hmm. her on pigeons, and she's she's not stretching out. 
and I've trained other six-month-olds, setters and pointers that are just balls to the wall, 200 yards out, running, pointing, and she's more 30, 40 yarders. So I've got some ideas of how I would stretch her out to get her more confident on her runs. But what would, if you were telling me what to do, what, what would some ideas to build a, a young dog, a young pointer's confidence? Uh, confidence in just stretching it out or just confidence in the process and everything, birds, the whole nine? I would say stretching it out because around, for Andy's sake, she she's confidence around in the birds. I mean, she holds a nice point. She gets fired up when mm-hmm. she gets sent, but she's sticking close by. So I want her to feel more comfortable and confident ranging. So would I use, l- like, lower cover? Um I mean, I even have an idea kind of like with a retriever. If I'm stretching out a young dog and retrieving, I'm going to feed them bumpers and get them confidently driving 100-yard, 200-yard with a bird boy helping them along to keep them driving. So my idea with Andy would be like, all right, see those hay bales 50 yards away? There's a pigeon. Now I start 100 yards away, and she's going to run to that hay bale because she thinks there's a bird there. And now over time, she's confidently driving further away from me to find birds. Yeah, no, I think that what you just said is is actually a really good idea, and uh, I'm no genius, but this is how I always explain this idea, and it's Ivan Pavlov's theory of conditioning, and that's a lot of what we're doing as handlers, you know, so Ivan Pavlov, obviously, for people who may not know, uh, did the experiment where he rings a bell and then give the dog a treat, which is kind of actually where the clicker idea that trainers use now actually came from. So what happens was is when that dog would hear the bell, the dog would start salivating because the dog knew that the bell meant he could get a treat. Right. So your idea of saying, um, first, let's make sure this dog knows, you know, bring that dog in on a lead to that pigeon by that bale. Bring that dog in on a lead and let that dog know that there's a pigeon there, right? And then yep. pull that dog out, walk it away from there 50 yards and have a buddy put another pigeon there. And then walk that dog back, you know, at 30 yards and then clip it off. If gotcha. that dog doesn't go straight to it, that, that's okay. It doesn't go straight to it. Walk to that bale like you were hunting, right. you know, and I would also carry a shotgun, not that you're going to shoot it, but we want to emulate the hunt all the time. We want this dog to, to connotate shotguns and birds together, right? When the yep. dog sees a shotgun, it's time, it's, it's time to go to work. So instead of just out there walking around with a camera, bring your gun. You don't have to shoot it, but, but bring it, um, and then, yeah, keep going back, and I think if that dog, again, the theory of conditioning knows that when it gets let off the lead and it's in that field and it knows that bale, there's going to be a bird there. Uh, and then, you know, obviously you're, you're going to try to range it out from there. I've got two other ideas for you um, that we like to do, Ken and I often do, is we run the young dog with one of the big running dogs. Okay. Uh, and we let, we let them out together because we know that one of our dogs, you know, whether it's radar, um, that you know, radar stretches when we train at four or five hundred yards regularly when we just go running. Uh, and Cash does too. Cash will run at three hundred yards, no problem. So we let that puppy out with that dog. We let him play together, get fired up a little bit, and then hunt him up and and let that little dog chase your big dogs. Okay. That's how they'll learn how to run cover. Not only will they learn how to stretch it, but they're gonna learn how to actually run cover. Instead of just barreling through tall CRP or whatever it is you're training in, that dog's going to learn how to run around cover and learn how to start hunting and catching wind in that cover. So, All right. So uh, can I play devil's advocate then, on you? Yeah, shoot. All right. So I've got my dad's dog is a, there is a lab, and I've got my older dog lab. And we did the same thing, mainly because dad wanted to bring his dog out and hunt, you know, and he knew how to retrieve. He was fully fully pretty much trained but hadn't pheasant hunted so this son of a gun would get lazy and let buck my dog go into the thick stuff and flush the roosters and boss would sit on the outskirts like i'm not going in there he's just going to kick him out and i'll get the retrieve so i wonder if there's like mm-hmm. a, a happy medium of the older dogs building the young dog's confidence but you want to make sure that they're not relying on the bigger dog to do the work and the young dog gets the reward does that make sense? Absolutely, but we don't want we don't want any bird opportunities while you're running this young dog with a big dog. This is strictly oh, exercise, strictly, right? Oh, all Stric- right, good. Strict, strictly putting on miles. Gotcha. No, no, you know, like I said, carry your gun, 
So the puppy is saying, okay, we're out here. I'm trying to find birds. Instead of just free running, the dog's going to run with a purpose because, again, theory of conditioning. Every time he gets the gun out, we're get to go hunting, right? Yeah. So it'll give the dog purpose to want to actually hunt hard instead of just free run, but it's also going to want that dog to run with that big dog. No birds, zero birds, strictly miles. Whatever your goal is, five miles for a six-month-old dog. Run a five-mile stretch and let that dog get it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so I'd say with the theory of conditioning, we pretty much conditioned Boss to know that Buck's going to go in the thick stuff, get some briars in his face, and then uh, flush a bird for him to go get. Absolutely. So that That's was, exactly what happened. That was my little brother. We got a very similar voice. Yes, you guys do. I, I couldn't tell. <laughs> I knew you couldn't. I knew you couldn't. Yes. Kevin Holy took crap. It. Yeah, dude. Um, that's funny. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean, that's an idea. Yeah, no, I think that's – the nuance of no birds makes more sense to me than the older dog finding the birds and the young dog letting them do the work. But – but letting the bigger dog build confidence and fun getting getting out there independent, right? Exactly. You're 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 creating the independency. At which point is when you introduce birds when you have two dogs in the field. When that dog starts running by itself the opposite direction at three hundred yards, when it starts hunting for itself and it realizes that this is no longer a game or we're not playing chase, that's when you could put birds in the field. Because there's a good dang chance that that young dog eventually is going to find the, the bird prior to the older dog. It's just how it's going to go. You know, I mean, dog's not going to get the same point every time. And, I, you know, that's, that's kind of where we're at. When that dog goes independent, throw some birds out there and, and let it start doing its job. And your old dog is going to honor that young dog, which is also going to build confidence in that young dog. So Excellent. All right, so you um, had one more yeah. point. What, what else did you have for me? Uh, I've seen a lot of guys do this from an exercise standpoint with their four wheelers and they've got the whole thing attached. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know about the whole attached situation, but my dogs always run big. If I run a four wheeler adjacent to a field with them, whether it's your truck or what have you, or driving up and down through the same cut in the CRP field, but it's that it's building that drive and, 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 you know, they're trying to keep up with you and chase you and you're their owner. And you know, they're, they're going to want to stay with you. So start out slow and let that dog do a canter, if you will, and a good stretch and get him loose. We don't want to pull any ligaments or hurt anything. And then get after it, you know, rip on that four-wheeler through a field and let them run with you. And they're going to learn to run big, and, and it's going to also extend their stride running that fast, you know. So yeah. a good stride is something that I always look for in a dog. Um, Gnarly's got little nub legs, and he does twice as much work as Radar does. So a yeah. uh, good stride something to, to do. Not that saying that a dog running quick next to your car is going to build stride but uh if they're running fast that's a full stride no matter what so you know teach them their abilities they i think that they learn their limits as well in situations like that just like any other kid does you know running the 100 meter dash or whatever it is in junior high like you learn your limits how fast you can go when you can sandbag and when you can't you know what i'm saying so yeah, yeah yeah i'm all about the opportunity and exposing them and like i said my job is I don't take credit like I'm the handler and I taught this dog something. My job is strictly to bring out the natural abilities in that dog. I just need to introduce them and lead them to that. Other than that, they're teaching me. Yeah, no, I, I 100%, especially in the bird dog world, I, I feel the same way. You're honing natural. If you buy a well-bred dog, you're honing natural ability and and grooming it, right? And let birds teach the dog and things like that um can we jump into a little bit about some of your business and the project upland video that you're fired up about yeah let's roll let's roll with it so and so talk to us about you know i guess maybe if if someone doesn't already follow project upland you and i both are are big supporters of them and and so maybe give a two minute who project upland is what they represent and then your your role with this video okay sure um i i'm uh, i'm not uh you know i'm not an affiliate or or a uh, an employee of project upland so i can only speak so much to what i know you know of them but um project upland is is you know really inspiring um to me and a lot of people in our community as they are 
doing exactly what you and I are talking about. What we love is really glorifying um, the gun dog, glorifying the quarry that we chase, and glorifying the guys that are really passionate about it and and their approach with their cinematography um, and the things that they highlight is much more appealing to the younger generation. You know, you're an eyes age, sure. uh, you know, guys in their, in their mid forties to, you know, whatever, 18, 14, 15, they're putting out content that's captivating. You know um, we live in a, in a time of, you know, social media and there's a thousand things that cross our eye daily. How do you capture someone's eye in two or three seconds? And, I think what Project Upland does a really good job is is they tap into the intricacies of a hunt, the emotions that drive the reasons why. And that's why I'm a big supporter of Project Upland because uh, it's not about Project Upland. Project Upland is just the stage that it's called. Uh, they are absolutely in it to uh, showcase why the Uplands are cool and how we can make the Uplands cool again. Um so that's, that's really, in a nutshell, I think what I see from Project Upland. They reached out to me uh, a year and a half ago, pretty much, uh, you know, may, maybe six months into me starting Fetching Feathers. And uh, just said, you know, we like what you're doing. Keep it up. We'll stay in touch. And one thing led to another. And we did the, the revel in the first film uh, that we recorded in Idaho at the end of October 2017. So uh, the teaser just came out. Uh, last month, uh, Revel in the First. You can see it on YouTube. Uh, you can find it on Project Upland's page as well on Facebook and mine also. Um, and then the uh, the trailer comes out at the end of July, early August, and it'll be two minutes. So the teaser's one minute, trailer's two, and then the film comes out, I believe, September 3rd. Uh, and that's kind of was the process, really. I mean, like I said, I, I kept it short, but right. we started talking, and I did a couple pieces for him. I wrote for him a bit. We stayed in contact. Um, we really just kind of uh, vibe real well. and The opportunity presented itself, and I couldn't be more humbled. By far, um, my most humbling, proud like moment or opportunity that I've had ever in my entire life, ever. Um, I've never been so uh, honored to be a part of something like this, and it has absolutely nothing to do with people are going to see me. It has everything to do with the thought that when I'm 80 years old and my knees and my ankles are ruined from being an upland hunter my whole life, I will have a film that I get to watch of me in my prime. I'll have a film of my first bird dog, Gnarly, who started all of this, um, something to look back on. You know, I think for me, it's about like leaving a legacy behind, if you will. And I, I, I think about stuff like that. And I think part of what I'm doing right now is, is, is what I want to leave behind. You know, I just want to be known as, as a really passionate guy in the uplands and, um, you know, touched a few people on the way and just try to be inspiring and positive. Um, so yeah, this, this film is near and dear to my heart. I'm just uh, really grateful for the opportunity. Did they, what, what hunt did they go on with you? What was it? Uh, I guess I'm not even sure. What, what did you guys go on the hunt for? So uh, the, the hunt was in Idaho and we hunted uh, a few other areas that, Primarily, we hunted Hell's Canyon, and we were chasing chucker and uh, hunts, Hungarian partridges. Uh, so that was the first time I've ever been to Idaho, and I'd never hunted hunts or, or, or chuckers before. Uh, so it was, it was man, it was life-changing. The, the terrain, the, the, the beauty, like it was, it's so cliche, but like literally breathtaking. There was times, well, it was breathtaking because <laughs> I was out of shape and I got my rear kicked because that is some tough country, but... <laughs> It was also breathtaking from the point of like, it, it just, it didn't seem real. Um, the beauty of Hell's Canyon and, and the Snake River and, um, man, it was just, it was just crazy to see and to be there, you know, on top of uh, a ridge chasing Chucker on, you know, Rimrock and um, with your dogs and, and a film crew following you. Like, who am I, man? Like, yeah. what a... <laughs> What a, what a blessing, man. Like, I, I, I don't know why, you know, I was given the opportunity. You know, I think that there's millions of guys doing just as good or better than I am. But, uh, damn it, I'm thankful. And I'm really excited for everybody to, to see this film and uh, to kind of understand me more. And, and, you know, I'm obviously much more uh, about the emotional side of the hunt than I am um, just the harvest. It, it's kind of what drives me. And 
uh, is the focus of the film. Uh, I get teary eyed a couple times in the film when I when I actually shot my first chucker. I involuntarily dropped to my knees and I cried and I was just taken over by the amount of effort and energy and you know they always say if uh, you know if it was easy it would be worth doing and I absolutely earned that first bird and I don't know man I'm I'm an emotional guy and I really tap into to what the hunt does for me so well, uh, the that... film is so dope. Yeah, I feel like that parlays into, you know, again, why you're on this podcast and why I gravitated to you as a Instagram personality is you get the unspoken bond and the the things and experiences you have with your dogs. Man, I bet 10 years ago when you got gnarly, you didn't even this wasn't even a thought in your mind that you would meet guys that would take you to Idaho to shoot Chucker and Huns or beyond podcasts, like the world, A, hard work breeds stuff like this, and being a good person uh, that works hard allows opportunities, so you should pat yourself on the back for that. But, you know, when you start, yeah, when you started this with Gnarly, there's no way you could have fathomed where it'd take you, and that's where, you know, guys or girls that are listening to this and following along with these people that they – they don't even know, but they get to know us and they get to know the dogs and the personas, if you will, of these dogs. And their dogs are no different than yours or mine. Ours aren't better nope. trained or anything. They're just great family dogs, great hunting dogs. And the opportunities and the people we met along the way led us to where we are today. And, man, that's I'm happy for you that you got that opportunity with those guys because – like you said, when you're 80 years old and you're showing your kids and grandkids YouTube, which is probably going to be obsolete when we're 80, you know, you're going to pull right. it up and be like, dude, this was me when I was 32. And this was my dog back then who's been gone for 40 years. And yep. I'll never forget that dog and where it took me. So congrats, man. That's, that's exactly why I'm uh, most excited about this film, for sure. So to be able to look back on it when when you know when the day comes that i can't do it anymore you got any cool trips planned for 2018 2019 let's talk <laughs> about it buddy yeah <laughs> woodcock and grouse in new york come on let's get it i'm not scared i'm an asphalt cowboy dude i eat up highway miles so let's go uh so yeah the great thing about the new career path that i took um I only work six or seven months out of the year. Uh, you can't, you know, you, it's hard to do exterior uh, work on homes from storm damage in the winter. So uh, I work, you know, six days a week for six months out of the year, and then I have six or seven months off now. Right. That being said, uh, we're going to load up the, the trailer and hit the road pretty hard this fall and winter. Um, I've been seeing more snakes this year than I ever have. So I'm kind of hesitant a little bit about hunting September 1st grouse just because it's been so hot. But I'll do my Colorado grouse trip because it's right next door. I'm two and a half hours from Denver. Um, I've got a trip set up in Montana with Ken. Uh, We're going to go hunt uh, an Indian reservation in in Montana uh, for huns and sharp tails. Uh, I've got a trip set to Idaho again because I need revenge on the chuckers in Idaho. There you go. Uh, I, I, I'm going to get with the boys of uh, Nevada Chucker Chaser and the Up Chucker guys, and uh, I'm going to try my hand at uh, Nevada hunting. Those guys are always slaying it. You know, I see them, and I'm like, dude, you guys are putting birds down. I need some of that. Cool. Uh, I'll hunt Nebraska like I usually do. I'll hunt Kansas, obviously. Um, and like I said, I'm, I'm really trying to get up to your guys' direction sometime this year. Uh, whether it be you guys or yeah i uh, let's get on the books let's start talking about it i i really want the opportunity you know everybody in your direction calls the rough grouse the king and hell who doesn't want to be a king slayer i i'm gonna crack i want to crack at it dude so not to digress uh but i've got a wedding in michigan in september and the wedding is like a week after grouse opener so my goal is to have andy ready to road trip with me and my girlfriend out to Michigan and we're going to spend a couple extra days in the upper peninsula. Uh, I mean, why not? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? is probably the best statement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I don't think she know <laughs> she doesn't know about it yet, but I do. <laughs> she does. She does now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but that would be fun. I mean, maybe we could parlay that trip into something. But that's uh, I mean, for me, as a young grouse hunter, you hear the stories of the Upper Peninsula, and I think that would be a cool spot to go check out. Yeah, you know, I talked to a few guys that uh, live and hunt in that area. Uh, you know that that say the exact same thing. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm easy. I don't have a whole lot of expectation, especially you know when you're you're coming in, never hunted a species or been in that area. You know, so uh, it's pretty easy to please me on a hunt. You know, if we harvest, awesome. But just walking some new country and learning. You know, this is the cool thing about the uplands, man, and, like, the United States in general. It's like you notice every region is different, different types of food, different types of culture, you know, different stores, whether it's your local grocery store or whatever, you know. So, sure. like, the uplands are the exact same. You know, you're you're where I am in Kansas. I'm, I'm sitting here at the top of the hill, and that's no joke because I don't get service at the ranch. And I am surrounded by, uh, you know, four fields of wheat, uh, a cornfield through the middle of both of those, like, Bird Ridge country, you're hunting, you know, Milo and CRP and cut corn. And uh, obviously out west, uh, you're hunting, you know, big rolling hills. And, and then obviously even further west, mountain mountaintops and uh, up in your guys', you know, area in the northwoods that you guys hunt. Like, dude, the thickest, craziest stuff. It doesn't even seem enjoyable, like, <laughs> from my perspective, because I've hunted wide open country my entire life. And my dogs hunt at five, six, seven hundred yards, you know, uh, Holy crud. I don't know if I could get my dogs to stay in close enough to actually successfully point and shoot a woodcock or a roughy. So uh, that's why I'm interested, you know, because I've never done it. Come on. I love to be challenged. Let's do this. All right. Well, we'll make it happen. All right. So we'll get into the last few questions and we'll wrap this bad boy up. Um, kind of rapid fire. If you had to only kill one species and hunt one species with your dog, what would it be? Bob White's. Where specifically? Um, goodness gracious. Uh, Kansas, uh, Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, what kind of gun do you shoot? Uh, Franke Instinct L 20 gauge over and under. Ooh. And actually, we spoke of it earlier about hunting roosters. Hunting roosters is why I switched to a 20 gauge um it was just not a whole you know like you just punch him with 12s and so you know growing up here i was like well, let's switch it up let's just shoot things with 20 gauges and i now shot nine upland species with that Frankie, and then uh all all sorts of uh species of ducks and then uh canada's as well so that little 20 gauge and i uh we, we we punch beaks there's no doubt about it my man uh, if you, so you're a German short haired pointer guy, but if you could have a bucket list breed of dog, what would it be? Uh, I'm going to say English pointer just for the fact that I'm not dealing with hair on setters. Uh, <laughs> I like the shorter hair. I'm not spending time to brush my dog out. Like that's just a crazy idea to me. Oh, I like, promise I, there's guys you she ain't like getting brushed. Hours. Dude, I'm talking about spending hours after the hunt. Uh -uh. brushing their dog and i'm like man that's just crazy like after the hunt you're getting kibble and water and you're going in the dog box and i'm gonna go put my feet up and have a beer and eat some supper myself like i'm not brushing you for two hours that's crazy yeah she's but getting a buzz cut respect to, yes respect to the guys that do that um i love it those breeds are awesome i know that you have a connection with them just like i do with my short hairs so uh i love all breeds but i'm gonna say english pointer it would be the next dog i'd like all right all right cool well, um, we'll wrap this bad boy up. Do me a favor. How can people find you on social media? Sure. Uh, I have a Fetching Feathers uh, Facebook page, but quite honestly, it's uh, it's underused. I don't use it quite as, as much as I should. Anthony Farrow is, is my personal page, which the, the only thing I really post on that is bird stuff anyways. Uh, fetching underscore feathers is my Instagram my website is fetching-feathers.com. And again, the film you can see, uh, the excuse me, the teaser is Revel in the First on YouTube. So those are the those are the ways to get at me. All right, cool. Well, the cool thing that Anthony and I discussed before we got rolling into this is we're going to have a little giveaway for all our new listeners and followers. So he's going to give a Fetching Feathers hat, and I'm going to give a Lone Duck hat away. 
Um, all you've got to do is subscribe to the podcast. I think Kevin said we've got to give five stars. So even if you don't like it, just give five stars. Uh, <laughs> and then follow Fetching Feathers and Lone Duck on Instagram. So over over the next you know month, we will announce the winner uh, for the Fetching Feathers hat and the Lone Duck hat. So Anthony, dude, loved getting to know you. Loved hearing the sto- uh, stories about Gnarly and Radar. It's a pleasure. I'm fired up for 2018 and watching your company and your personal growth uh, over social media. And we'll stay in touch, man, and maybe we will make a grouse hunt and woodcock hunt happen this fall. Yeah, awesome, man. I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, Again, I really, really enjoy following you. Uh, The more training videos you can give us, the better. You've got a lot of knowledge. And dang it, feed us this Andy dog video (laughs) start to finish. I want to see what you do with it, man. All right, will do. Hey, thank you so much for your time this evening. Stay well and stay in touch. Awesome, man. Be good. Hey, patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. It's a community that we built to help you and your dog on your journey to next duck season. There's videos that don't hit YouTube. There's happy hours where we drink a couple beers and I answer your questions every other week. And by the way, if you join between now and September 1st, you're entered to win a hunt with me and Kevin and other Patreon members. So jump in. Let's go. Join the community. We appreciate it. And we'll see you there. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today.